Welcome to the Strong for Performance podcast, where we give coaches and consultants practical ideas for taking you to the next level in your business and in your life. I'm your host, Meredith Bell. I interview experts who've walked in your shoes and offer real-world experience that you can apply to your own journey. Welcome to another episode of the Strong for Performance podcast. I'm your host, Meredith Bell, and I am delighted to have with me today a very special guest, Rosanna Wyatt. Rosanna, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Meredith. Well, I'm really excited to have Rosanna here because she and I met a few months ago and I was blown away by her uh, coaching ability. She is the founder of Wyatt Leadership IQ and her mission is really to help strengthen people and organizations. And I have to say firsthand, Rosanna, you are one of the most transformational and engaging Uh, executive coaches that I've had the opportunity to interact with because I got to experience your coaching firsthand at the event and then since then. And Rosanna is just amazing, as you will see as we go through um, our time together today. She really enjoys working with high-performing people to help them take their performance to the next level. So these could be independent professionals, leaders, entrepreneurs. Um, She offers both one-on-one and group coaching and has recently launched a very special special uh, event, which is a quantum leap retreat where you get to work with her one-on-one for an extended period of time. And Rosanna, I know I can only imagine the kinds of changes that you're able to help people um, see and experience because of your strong intuitive sense and the skills you've actually acquired over the years in coaching. And she's also uh, just recently created a coaching mentorship program for coaches who want to take their own coaching to the next level and have even greater impact with their clients. So I'm really excited about being able to talk to you today, Rosanna, about a topic that I think is going to be of great interest to my listeners. But before we dig into that topic, I'd really love for you to share more about your own career path. Where did you start and how did you come to be um, a highly acclaimed executive coach? Well, again, thank you so much, Meredith, for having me today. It is a real pleasure. Um, So my gratitude to, to you. So in terms of my career path, it's really been quite interesting. And so um, in terms of my first career, I actually worked in the field of forensics and I was a uh, clinician, a therapist by trade. And so when I was finishing my master's uh, degree, I was actually recruited by a large size forensic organization on the East Coast of Canada. And It was such a privilege to work inside that organization. The first couple of years of my career was absolutely phenomenal. I was working on fascinating cases, but on top of that, I was working with some of the most um, esteemed colleagues in in the field of forensics. And as a new clinician, that was just something that was incredibly, exciting and really was setting me up to just have a phenomenal career. 
but not uncommon um, to a lot of workplaces, there was a massive ma management turnover. And when that happened inside the organization, the culture could best be described as one that became incredibly toxic. And so the impact that that had on myself and my esteemed colleagues was significant. Many of them started to leave the organization and flooded across Canada to other opportunities. And so there I was, still a very new professional in the field, really questioning what I was going to do, but also questioning what I was experiencing in the workplace. Because intuitively, I didn't think that was leadership, regardless of the constraints that a leader might be working within. I really felt like there could be a different way to show up and, and lead yourself and lead others. And so being curious, I decided to start to study leadership. And so I went back to school and took a, uh, a variety of different professional development um, courses on leadership. And that's literally when I fell in love with the topic of leadership. It just spoke to me and really highlighted to me that a leader can lead differently, regardless of the system that they may be working within. And so at that point in my career, it was my goal to continue to develop myself, work with my own coaches and mentors, and to move up the organizational ladder, because I didn't want anyone else to experience what I had experienced. So I was driven to really show up and be that leader that I aspire to be. And so that's exactly what I continued to do. I moved myself up the organizational ladder. Um, I did some other things at the same time. I did strategic development. I taught at a couple of different post-secondary institutions and also had a private practice. And then a massive um, opportunity came available for me to move into a very large clinical leadership position. And it was what I literally have been working for over the years. And I turned it down. And initially I turned it down because I thought the salary attached to it wasn't significant enough for the roles and the responsibilities. And there really was a lot of truth to that. But when I did some significant soul searching, I realized in that moment that my passion and my purpose in life wasn't to, con to continue to be the senior leader in a large size organization. My purpose in life was to take my passion for developing human potential and merge that with my passion for performance and leadership and work alongside leaders and help them develop their leadership abilities so they can really be the leaders that they aspire to be. And so after having that huge aha moment, I like to say that my um, passion led to my growth, but then my growth led to my passion because that's when I developed Wyatt Leadership IQ. That's great. And so today you work with a variety of leaders in different size organizations. You've worked with business owners, C-suite, and you, you found, I'm sure, some common elements around leadership, but there's one in particular that you've sort of developed this concept around, and I want to go deeper with that because I have, I've never heard anyone talk about it in quite this way. And that's this idea of the veil of leadership shame. Mm -hmm. So I'd like you to tell us what you mean by that before we go deeper into how you see it being manifested with leaders. Sure, great question, Meredith. So the veil of leadership shame is a concept that I developed after seeing a trend among the leaders that I was working with, regardless of the industry that they were in, and regardless if they were a woman or a man.
And the trend really had to do with the language that these individuals were using in our coaching sessions, where they would talk about feeling like they're not enough, that they're failing in their respective roles, really questioning how and why someone could have promoted them into this position, and really just being flooded with this self-doubt and being concerned that they were an imposter waiting to happen. And when I stepped back and really reflected on this trend, this language that was being used among the, the leaders that I was working with, I developed this concept, the veil of leadership shame, because it struck me that when, in, when leaders are wearing this veil, it's really impacting their ability to show up and be the leaders that they aspire to be both for themselves and for those that they lead. And so as a coach, I need to work with them in order to be able to release or unveil the veil of leadership shame. Well, that's got to be quite a challenge. What is it you were seeing happen with them in the ways they were interacting with their teams? You know, they had these thoughts and I can identify with those and I bet, our listeners can too, those who are in the coaching and consulting world that go into that field often from doing something else and they have those same doubts and questions. So what you're talking about to me is sort of a universal issue, but with those in leadership positions, it's especially precarious for them to carry that because of the way it cascades to the people they work with. So what are you seeing happen or what were you seeing happen with them in their interactions with team members? Mm -hmm. So you're spot on, Meredith, that it really is a pervasive problem, I think, for anyone, um, regardless of the role that they're in, and especially when you cross over industries or you've been promoted into a new position. It's not uncommon that people will have that self-doubt. But with the leaders that I was working with, it really was impacting their confidence because they were flooded with these negative thoughts. It was impacting how they went about making decisions, how they were showing up in front of their, their staff. And so the, the response from staff were naturally not to be confident in their leaders because the leader themselves wasn't confident in their abilities. And so when that would happen, you would see an increase in, diseng or, um, an increase in disengagement uh, from team members or colleagues even, um, you know, morale decreases, product activity decreases, and the list would just go on. And so getting at the root of the issue in terms of what's really contributing to this leader feeling this way was really paramount in being able to address some of these larger organizational issues that were um, really escalating out of control um, because of how someone was showing up um, in those moments. So Let's talk about the approach you take, and it may vary depending on the individual leader, but what have you seen to be some effective ways to help them first see that the issue exists and then deal with it? So that's a great question. And I think as a coach, it really starts with understanding your client understanding the client in terms of their whole self. And I say that because it's really determining, is this because this individual is in a new position? Maybe they have taken a, um, a quantum leap in terms of the trajectory uh, for their career, 
or is this something that's more pervasive to their personality? And I say that because if this is something that they have historically experienced, regardless of the, the position that they've been in, that really informs you as a coach in terms of what needs to be worked on versus are they simply feeling this way because they've just taken this massive leap into this new position. So like a temporary situational versus a more uh, permeable Per, what, permanent or long, long-term um, Absolutely. Absolutely. So really understanding your client. And so um, I always say that's done by one, building that rapport with them to really asking those great um, introspective and curious based questions to your clients. So you can draw out what is happening inside of them. So for instance, if you have a leader that's using language, that's very self-defeating and, um, that really, that really sort of um, highlights their, their lack of confidence in terms of what they are doing um, in that particular role. Asking a question like, you know, have you ever felt like this before? You know, that's a great opener in terms of, yes, actually, in my last position, I felt this way also. And then as a coach, you can explore, were they able to overcome that? If so, what strategies worked? Is there a way that we can apply those same strategies to what they're experiencing now? If they weren't able to overcome that, you know, what's their opinion in terms of why they weren't able to overcome some of those challenges that they were experiencing? And that's where, as a coach, you really start to get that glimpse into the inner person and what is really happening inside of them. Because to simply put more skills on top of someone or to give them more training, ask them to read leadership books. In my opinion, that's just a band-aid. It's a band-aid solution because it's not getting at what is the root of the problem. You know, similarly, are they feeling this way because of the constraints of the system or the organization that they're working within? Maybe they don't have a leader that they're reporting to that they really feel is supporting them in their own leadership journey. So then it's being able to, to navigate that also. So asking those key questions so you can really flush out uh, what is happening with this, with this client, because without that knowledge, it becomes really challenging in order to address things in an effective way that creates long-term solutions. And ultimately, you know, what I find is a lot of the clients, they know that they're not performing up to their best. And that really doesn't feel good. The difference is, is because of these scripts that they've created in their heads, sometimes in my opinion, they've sort of um, escalated the, the truth of what is happening within them. But as, as coaches, we still need to uh, be able to pull that out of them. So that way we can create that roadmap in terms of how do we move forward? Are we targeting things that are more internal to this individual? Or is it that and also building skills in terms of how do we have challenging conversations with the people that we're leading? How do we, you know, develop uh, increased engagement among our people or whatever the issue is that they may be experiencing. I'm curious because you were talking about the stories that they have created and believe. Mm -hmm. What are some ways that you go about addressing, uh, I won't say confronting them, but holding up to them the fact that these are stories that aren't necessarily true, they're thoughts that they're believing. How do you do that in, in a way that helps them not get defensive, not um, deny, 
but start accepting and then that's to me when you would be able to actually do some work with them once you get them to own the fact that yeah these are stories mm-hmm so great question so again i think it's really uh having a strong rapport with your clients you know this isn't something that you would start to to challenge or to illuminate to them in the first couple of coaching sessions because you probably don't have the the level of rapport that's needed in order to i like to call it gently challenge the client to be able to think differently because in my opinion as coaches that's really what we're doing we're um you know, working with the client so they can think differently, so they can increase their level of awareness, which then ultimately allows them to act differently and typically in a more productive way. And so, um, one, listening to the client, you know, really understanding what the issues are normalizing their experiences. I think that's really key. And I think that's where we can even bring in our own experiences. But prior to bringing in our own experiences, I always like to say, you know, asking the client permission to to do that. And so I think that really provides a opportunity and a space for them to realize that others too have experienced that and that it is normal. And so provide um, examples in terms of how you were able to overcome that yourself. Now, alternatively, again, it's asking those deep coaching questions to get the client to think more critically. You know, so asking, is this something that you've experienced beforehand? You know, what's the evidence that you're failing? You know, what's the evidence that um, you're an imposter waiting to happen? And often when you ask that question, when they have the opportunity to pause and reflect, and I really find that that's one of the key things because lots of people are just, you know, acting on autopilot. And so they're not really thinking into the reasons that they're actually having the thoughts that they're experiencing. And so when you ask those questions in terms of what's the evidence, you know, what's the evidence that you're an imposter waiting to happen? Often it's only in that moment that they, you know, go through the, the vault, as I like to call it, and they realize, you know, I have had great success in, in this position. Um, I might be in a tough spot right now because of whatever constraints that I'm working within in this given moment, but that doesn't actually mean that I'm an imposter. And so that's a way that you can gently challenge what I like to call is really a cognitive distortion. So it's a negative thought. It's a negative belief about themselves. And so when they have that aha, that becomes the evidence to them that actually they're not an imposter waiting to happen or it becomes the evidence. Actually, in the first quarter, I had immense success with my team. Just because we're having some challenges in the second quarter doesn't mean that we're failing. It simply means we're experiencing challenges and how as a team can we best move through and and pass them. That's great. You're mentioning that as an example. I would love to hear more about um, leaders that you've worked with and helped uh, what, what were they like before and then through your work with them, what, what was it like on the other side for them? Mm-hmm. So it's always hard to, to pick one particular client to use as an example. Um, probably I would say if I, I'm going to think about a uh, mid to senior level leader in a large size bureaucratic organization and um, she was challenged with many of these things that we're talking about today. And so it was really asking these key questions uh, to her. 
to get her to start to think critically, right? And to also ask her colleagues questions and to also share with her colleagues her experiences. And I say that because what I find with a lot of the clients that are wearing the veil of leadership shame, they're not talking about the veil that they're wearing with anyone else other than myself. And what we've found is that when they have those conversations with people that they trust in their organization, um, often other people are experiencing the very same thing. And so it creates, again, that normalization, but it also provides that opportunity for connection to build between yourself and one of your colleagues. So that way, the two of you can be able to support one another and be able to, again, you know, bring attention to the things that need to be brought uh, attention to, but also to be able to move past it. So for her, um, again, it would be asking key coaching questions based on you know what she's communicating in a particular coaching session so really listening sometimes to what they're saying but is their body language showing something different okay that's a key indicator as a coach that there's a disconnect between what they're saying and actually what they believe and so reflecting that back to them because again the whole idea is to get the client to start to think more critically about the reasons that they're having these thoughts and so as we do that, we're able to unpack their feelings and their thoughts. So that's really key. Without doing that, it's very hard to move forward. So I would say that would be one of the, the first things that we would do. Naturally, depending on what's unpacked, that really influences the flow of the conversation. But ideally, what you want to do after that, when they realize that their thoughts are um, maybe not grounded in the full depth of reality that they should have in that moment. And I'll just caution there, that's not to say that these leaders aren't, um, that their experiences aren't what they are, because they are what they are. Mm -hmm. But sometimes the level of um, you know, self-doubt has been exasperated beyond what it really should be. And it's not until we're able to address that and to unpack that, that they realize, yes, I still have some self-doubt, but on a scale of one to 10, maybe it's a four versus before they had thought it was an eight. Mm -hmm. And so um, second step would be developing solutions, right? So asking them, based on what they're experiencing and now that they can see they actually are capable um, and then that and or other people are also experiencing what they're experiencing, asking them, you know, what would be a strategy to be able to improve X, Y, or Z? So really empowering them, empowering them to develop solutions to create the change that they want to uh, be able to address that's causing them some of this self-doubt because that's really empowering because one they've been able to realize that their beliefs aren't necessarily what they thought that they were but two then they themselves are being equipped to challenge the very things that are causing them to feel like they're not performing to their best of their abilities I would say three, having those pertinent conversations with colleagues normalization I say is really important because a lot of times Others are feeling that same way, but others don't know that others are feeling that way. And so when you can bring that to the table, not only do you have that connection that is formed, but on top of that, 
as a group, you can start to develop strategies, again, to address whatever the larger issue is that's impacting everybody. And that's really powerful because that allows cohesion to be developed among the team. And often, you know, through the power of multiple people coming together, the synergy that is taking place often results in quicker results also being developed. And who doesn't want quicker results? Well, it sounds like one of the key things is uh, this idea of once the, the leader you're coaching gets that insight for themselves and they're willing to be more open about it, then other people feel safe with them admitting they're not perfect, they have doubts themselves, and therefore it creates a culture of openness where people feel comfortable being honest with each other. So circling back to your client, tell us a little bit more about how she actually went through and implemented those various three phases you were just describing. Right. And so um, in terms of the, the first phase, it was very much that in terms of discovering those things in the coaching session and really setting the client up for success to feel as though they were empowered to go back to their respective um, workplace and to then have some of those conversations. And so that's exactly what she did is had those conversations with some of the uh, colleagues on her team who she trusted. And she also spoke with her superior. And the impact of that was quite significant because their experience was that they also had the same challenges, same challenges with a particular issue, but that they too had the same level of self-doubt within themselves because nothing was changing. And also they didn't know if they were going to be able to address issue X. And so that created such an opportunity for them to not only bond with one another, but then to be able to strategize in terms of how can we actually overcome this challenge and so that really was the the third the third piece and so especially with her superior sitting down and really brainstorming how they could address the issue that they were experiencing because ironically this particular um, leader who was my client's boss didn't feel like she had solutions either and so the collectiveness that happens when people open up and allow one another to engage in those critical conversations is truly transformational. And so ultimately it led them to be able to have conversations with the people that were involved around this issue. And so this is actually something that's quite recent. So the complete outcome of it, um, I wouldn't know, but what I do know is the power of connection and the power of being able to be open and be vulnerable and also to really practice that self-compassion because I would say that was something that was really key almost in phase one with my client is as we're unpacking their thoughts and their feelings regarding why they're not performing in the way that they think that they should be performing, it's also encouraging them to practice that self-compassion because I think any high performer wants to be doing well. And so it can be easy to scrutinize yourself. And I think one of the most important things, regardless of where someone is at in their leadership journey, is just acknowledging that you don't need to know it all. And when you give yourself permission that you don't need to know it all, that really releases a huge weight off of that respective leader. And also, I like to say, helps to encourage them in being able to seek 
support from others and to engage in those vulnerable conversations. Well, two things I want to bring up. One is, as you were describing her going and talking to her superior and what happened there, I could almost myself feel the relief mm. that she must mm. have felt to have had such an open conversation because it was risky, right? It felt risky before she did it. Like, oh my gosh, what if this person, you know, reacts negatively in, in whatever form that would take. So we build up these stories in advance of ever having the conversation. But to have that person not just listen um, with an open mind, but acknowledge their own doubts, I just think that had to be a huge barrier dropper, if there's such a thing, to really open up the communication and the connection between the two of them. I just think that's quite remarkable because there are many types of organizations where people don't feel safe mm -hmm. doing that because they don't have a leader, a boss, who would have that kind of openness to acknowledge because so too many times we carry around the idea we've got to have it all together you know, or others will think less of us when, is it your experience that there actually is an increase in respect when the other person in a leadership role in particular is willing to acknowledge faults, mistakes, not being perfect? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because I think it makes that leader relatable. And if they're relatable, it gives us courage that we can also show up and be ourselves. And I think that's ultimately what we all want. And so you're right, for this particular leader, it was very risky for her. I mean, even after our, our coaching session, she was very nervous about having those conversations. But she knew in order to be the leader that she aspired to be, and to be able to really sort of let go of any lingering self-doubt she needed to be able to show up and have that type of conversation, which thankfully turned out to be incredibly productive. But again, I think when you, um, you know, have the colleagues that you can trust and that you can really connect with, then it allows you to approach those difficult conversations with added ease. It doesn't mean that conversations will necessarily go perfectly, but it allows you to start to create dialogue about something that's a challenge, which as we learned in this example, was a challenge being um, experienced by multiple people. And in that challenge, multiple leaders also feeling inadequate and being flooded with their own yeah. self-doubt. Well, the other piece I wanted to bring up was this uh, self-compassion that you talked about, because this whole veil of shame um, and helping them lift it, to me, a key piece of that is exactly what you were talking about, this self-compassion. What is it you do to help them um, attain that kind of attitude and treatment of themselves? That's a great question and a tough question, Meredith. Um, so well, I know there's no standard answer because everybody's different, but I'm guessing there are some overall strategies or questions that you use to help them to get to that point. Right. 
So again, I think a big thing, you know, in leadership, and especially as a coach, because as a coach, I view that as one of the most powerful leadership roles that an individual can have, is really listening, really listening to the client and understanding what is happening inside of them. And again, normalizing that for them, validating what their experiences are. Um, and through that, really showing them that you care. You care in terms of their performance, their leadership abilities. And so that helps to build um, you know, joint compassion and their sense of self-worth. Because regardless of what they're experiencing, to see that someone's still viewing them in the same way is something that can be incredibly validating for them. So outside of that, again, I would say that sometimes it's about building their confidence, right? Because sometimes a lack of self-compassion has less to do with their need to be perfect and more to do with their, with their confidence. So building that inside of them, that way then they can practice more self-compassion. And again, that really comes down to knowing your client really well. That way you know what you need to, to target first. I would also say it's, um, again, gently illuminating a mirror in front of them mm -hmm. so they can see what you see. Because all of us become flooded, especially when we have that veil of leadership shame over us, that we don't see things in a, in a way that really... Um, illuminates the perception accurately and so if you can hold that mirror up to them gently that way they can start to see something differently sometimes that in of itself allows them to start to shift in terms of realizing i really am great at what i do right i really deserve to be in this position i earned my ability to be in this position but it's not until that mirror is illuminated in front of them and that you start to draw out and highlight certain things that then they start to see. But ultimately, by you doing that, it's them that's actually seeing. Right? And I can, yeah, I can attest to that personally from our conversations mm. where you have picked up on something I've said, held it up to me with a question, and then I was able to go, oh my gosh, that relates to over here. So it's this whole idea of your, your whole approach with your, uh, it's gentle, but firm. And I think that that's really a strength of a coach like yourself. And what, what makes you so exceptional is because the client feels that you're really wanting to understand them. You're really with them you're on their side, so they trust you. So when you do ask a question, they aren't threatened by it, and you give them time to think. You're not pushing, pushing, pushing for them to come up with a quick answer. And I think that is, you know, such a, a talent, gift, and skill that you've created as a coach that helps create these transformations that you've been able to accomplish. And I just kept an eye on the time because we could talk about this subject for such a long time. It's so important with uh, when thinking about a leader's effectiveness. And it's, I'm so glad you introduced that phrase, the veil of shame, because I don't think that I've ever heard it expressed that way. And yet it really is critical for 
releasing and, uh, and lifting that veil so that people are free to be their very best. And you're so excellent at that. Well, thank you so much, Meredith. And I just wanted to quickly loop back to what you said, because I think it's exactly um, as you pointed out, you know, meeting the client in terms of where they're at, right? And not forcing them to see something too soon. Mm -hmm. The other piece is really being aware of how you're going about asking your questions. The same question can be asked in two different ways and have a completely different delivery. And so for the coaches and consultants that are listening, it's balancing what you know in terms of where you want to get that client also with where they're currently at. Mm -hmm. And when you can balance those two things and really use your intuitive abilities, it's going to allow you to have greater breakthroughs with your clients um, and also just an overall better relationship with them. Great because point. Support it in the way that they need to be supported. That's great. Thank you. Well, Rosanna, I know that some of the folks listening to this are going to want to connect with you. So how can they find you online and, and learn more about your services? Yes. So thank you, Meredith. I would love to connect with anyone that wants to continue the conversation. One of the easiest ways is always uh, through LinkedIn. Uh, individuals can also reach out to my, web, uh, my website and send me a message. I would love to talk to any coaches and consultants out there that are really interested in taking their coaching abilities to the next level. That way their own clients can start to experience quantum leaps in terms of their uh, performance. And for those listeners that just generally want to take a quantum leap and their own personal and professional growth, I would love to have a conversation with them about my new quantum leap coaching retreat that does just that. It provides accelerated rates for an individual to get the growth that they're looking for both personally and professionally in two days. That's great. And so tell us your website again. Uh, so my, my website is wyattleadershipiq.com. Great. And there they can find your email address and other contact information, right? Exactly. Email, phone numbers there, LinkedIn, feel free to send me a message. Um, and I look forward to, to hearing from, from them. Excellent. Well, I recommend everybody connect with Rosanna on LinkedIn and have a conversation with her. She is definitely someone well worth knowing. And thank you so much, Rosanna, for being with me today. I really uh, found your insights valuable for me personally, and I know that our listeners did too. Great. Thank you so much, Meredith. It was a pleasure. Thanks for tuning in to the Strong for Performance podcast. Now head over to growstrongleaders.com to learn how our tools can increase your impact with clients and expand your business. And while you're there, grab our free ebook, The Five Secrets to Getting Better at Anything. Until next time, I'm Meredith Bell. Make it a great day.